This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey everybody, my name is Jan and you are listening to the Langpreneur podcast. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we have another brand new episode for you today. And, you know, every now and then we uh, we reach out to our community members in our Facebook group or, you know, sometimes I exchange messages with, with some of you uh, over WhatsApp as well. And I always ask what you guys want to learn. Like, what are the things that you're struggling with in your online language business? Now, recently, many people told me that they wanted to learn more about hiring. So maybe you work alone. Or maybe you have a small team and you're wondering when is actually the right time to bring someone new onto your team and where do you find good people how much should you pay them how important is team building should you work with freelancers or hire people on the, on the payroll or how do you call that on the contract um, you know what are some of the tasks that that you should outsource immediately and what are some of the tasks that you cannot very easily outsource you know so lots of questions around this topic also think about um you know things like how do you do how do you deal with employees that that don't do their work or when you have to fire someone how to have uncomfortable conversations so what what i did is i asked ollie to to come on the show he's actually on a holiday and he promised himself that he was not going to work. So <laughs> I managed to convince him to do this uh, this, this interview with me. And, um, well, I prepared a lot of... I didn't really prepare the questions, but I had a lot of questions in mind. And um, we basically spent six... No, I think 70 minutes talking about, you know, answering all these questions from, from you guys. Um, so the aim of this episode is really to give you a... Yeah, I think you can call it a blueprint like a guide, a guide that you can follow to, well, first of all, find out whether you need to hire someone or not yet. And if you if you think that, you know, hiring someone is is the right thing to do, then we also, or well, actually, Oli also teaches you how to do that. We also mention a few resources here and there because it was impossible to cover everything in 70 minutes. And uh, by the way, this is <laughs> this is the longest podcast interview so far. Well, on on this podcast at least, but it's it's loaded with very useful, valuable informations for all of you. It really doesn't matter if you are a langpreneur who's doing you know who's doing this all alone, or if you have a small team. Even if you have a bigger team, still gonna yeah, I'm pretty sure that this interview is really gonna help you getting clarity, even more clarity about how you should go about hiring people than you already have. So without further ado, let's get started. Here is my interview with Oli. Enjoy. Hey Oli, how's it going? Yeah, it's going really well. Uh, thanks for the invitation to to record the podcast. Apologies in advance to everybody listening. We, we know the sound quality is not great today, but sometimes, you know, the show must go on, and we we were thinking that you guys are here for, mostly for the information rather than my dulcet tones. So yeah, yeah. exactly. I hope you enjoy. 
Because we recently had so many people asking us about hiring people, right? How to find someone good, how to build a strong team. And well, you're currently, I think you're on a holiday, right? Where are you? Yeah, well, I'm currently in sort of holiday, what I call holiday transitions. It's like, oh. like I've, um, I, I need like a week just to... So here's the thing, like normally I just go on holiday and I just kind of carry on yeah. checking email and stuff like that. And you know, maybe do a little bit of work here and there. And it's fine because I, 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 don't, I don't generally have a lot to do on a, on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, but this time I'm really keen to actually get like a full holiday where I don't have to do anything. and I don't want to check my email. Except nothing. for so a, I'm actually take, except I'm taking for a, a week podcasts. to actually, uh, <laughs> except for a few podcast interviews. <laughs> so I'm taking a week to just sort of set things up so that I, <laughs> to make sure that I actually do get like a full two weeks off, which is going to be, Amazing. Yeah, well, thanks for making some free time for this uh, interview. People can't wait. Well, I couldn't wait to do this interview, and I think the people, like our listeners either. So let's do this. Today we're going to talk about building a team. Now, before we start, you know, before I start bombarding you with all these questions that I have, because I have a long list here, um, tell us a little bit about, like, what your business looks like today, looks like today, and um, tell us a bit about your team. Yeah, so from a team perspective, then, um, there's, so there's a lot of different people in a lot of different roles. And I think sometimes, you know, when people talk about, you know, so how many people on your team, the answer is, well, it kind of depends, right? Because some are full-time, some are part-time, some are kind of contractors. Um, but right now, we're currently working pretty regularly with, uh, with, with between sort of, you know, 10 to 12 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then half of those are full-time um, a quarter of those are, well, about half of those are full-time. Uh, half of those are not technically full-time, but kind of contracting, if you like, or, or freelancing. Yeah. So they're kind of working with us full-time, but it's not necessarily like, it's not necessarily ongoing mm-hmm. all the time. So it's between, you know, 10 to 12 people on the kind of main team doing different functions. Yeah. Um, and then because we produce a lot of language materials. That's kind of what we do. So we have, I mean, probably between 50 to 100 freelancers that we work with regularly, but they are just freelancers, you know, so we'll pay them for a particular project and then, and then that's it. Yeah. So can you give a few examples of the tasks that they're working on, of like the position that they have in the company? Yeah, so for example, um, one one recent hire, well, I say recent one hire from last year was an editor, mm-hmm. uh, and this is Ellie. And Ellie is um, so what she does is she helps us produce books. Mm-hmm. So I've always done a lot of kind of self publishing, but I recently decided to start a um, I call it a publishing company because it just makes it sound more impressive. But really, it's just it's just I decided that I want to publish more books on a regular basis but I couldn't do it myself mm-hmm. before it had always been just like me and a couple of people on the team, just kind of taking time out of our regular stuff to just get books published. But I decided mm-hmm. to make it more formalized. So I bought on an editor who now works full time, um, commissioning, producing, publishing, um, books mm-hmm. for us. Um, and then another role, for example, would be, we have a resident, a resident polyglot, uh, Stefano in the, mm-hmm. in the team who is, speaks 
Oh, I don't know. How many, you know Stefan, right? How many languages does he speak? Like 10 oh, languages or something? Yeah, yeah. It's all crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, so basically what he does is he, is, he uh, works with us inside our courses and anytime anyone has a, a language question. So, you know, what's the difference between um, j'allais and je suis allé in French? Um, mm-hmm. Anytime there's a, a question like that, he, he'll, he'll answer it. And he'll yeah. do it in Japanese or French or German. And then... Um, so yeah, so it's a lot of the kind of different positions like that. A lot of the roles are quite specific. Others are more general. So for example, James, who's my COO, he um, he basically does, he, he, his role now is evolving into something where he doesn't actually produce anything himself, but he oversees and project manages like five or six other parts of the business, which are kind of key to our operations. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, well, James manages all the oper- well, most of the operations in the company. We have Stefano, who's like the polyglot teacher, who answers all the questions when people have, uh, well, when they, when they have questions. Um, we have the editor. You have a publishing manager. What else? What what other roles do you have in the company? Okay, so well, so for example, we have somebody who works full uh, full time at the moment on that on. On, on, on conversion, so going through sales funnels, optimizing yeah. uh, emails, sales pages, things like that. Um, that's Mike. Sarah um, runs our Facebook ads. We have Madeline, who's uh, her title is kind of course production assistant. Or, yeah. uh, so she helps us kind of put together courses and actually set them live and run them and build them and all of that. Yeah. Um, and then there's Dave, who works for uh, customer service, also helps me with some teacher training stuff. Yeah. Uh, Sophia is running our new podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, and then um, I, this is where I start to get <laughs> I worry that I've left I've left somebody out. Yeah, um, and definitely a couple of people. But mm-hmm. yeah, but, uh, well, mm-hmm. well, just to give the people an idea of what the business looks like and you know how all the operations mm. are run on on a daily base uh, basis. So, well, quite a big team. I mean, you build that in in seven years because that's when you started seven years ago. You started all alone by yourself. When uh, when do you think, or why, when was it that you hired the first the first person? Yeah. So this is a, this is a really good question because um, it's a simple question, but it's really important because I'm very conscious when I lay all this when I talk about all these different roles. I'm very conscious that to somebody who is a solopreneur, that sounds very intimidating and daunting. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, because your first thought is, well, that must be very expensive. Uh, and I couldn't afford to do that, right? So that's where everybody starts. So um, I think that that's a, a really useful place to, to, to sort of steer this discussion, I think, because, the, because we can talk about like, how to hire people, how to find people, but actually the psychology, what, what goes on in people's minds at this stage, and I remember this because I was there for years at this point, was like, well, I can't, I'm not sure I can afford to hire somebody. So mm-hmm. what's the point of me, of me listening to that? Yeah. But to answer your question, the first, the first proper hire I made was, um, I, I don't know the date exactly, but it was around 2015, 2016. Yeah. And this was, um, this was somebody who joined me. Initially, it was actually, I mean, we can get into how I, how I found them, if you like, but it started off as doing a bit of free work for me, actually, because they wanted some experience. Mm-hmm. And then it moved on to some hourly paid work and then, um, and then regular and then full-time eventually. Mm-hmm. It's very, very gradual. Mm-hmm. And this was about two years after you started 
the block, right? Uh, more or less, yeah. So, I mean, I started the, 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 the blog as it was then in 2013, mm-hmm. but it was really a couple of years of nothing but blogging. The, the, the business, it wasn't until a couple of years later that I actually started to actively try to grow the business side of it, which was around, yeah, 2015. Mm-hmm. So why did you decide to hire that person at the time? And if you don't mind sharing, how much was your business generating at the time? Or Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a couple of different things going on in my head at that point. Like number one is, so I've listened, you know, if you listen to any kind of sort of online business education, people will always tell you, you know, you have to have a VA, you have to have this and that. You'll always do so much more together than by yourself. We've all heard this stuff over and over again. So I kind of I kind of knew that, but well, I I found a particular problem or a kind of a catch twenty two situation when I was at that stage, which is that. So the theory goes that if you bring on somebody to help you run the day to day, then you can spend more time on the more important, more valuable tasks, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The trouble is that at that stage of my business growth, I didn't know what the more valuable tasks were. So I knew that I could kind of bring someone on to help me do things like make PDFs and build courses or whatever. But what would I do? I didn't know the answer to that question because I hadn't figured out the business yet. You know, I hadn't figured out the, the business model. I hadn't figured out what didn't really have much to sell. So I didn't know what was generating sales. So it was quite difficult mentally for me to justify bringing on somebody until I knew what it was that I was going to spend my time on instead. And I think for a lot of people, especially at the beginning, that's not obvious. Yeah. Um, so um, your question was, uh, sorry, sorry, I forgot your question. <laughs> what was it? Yeah, it's like when or why was it that you decided to, to hire him at that particular time? Yeah, so, so the way it worked for me was that, so this person came uh, initially through, through, my, through my list and they did some work for me for free and it was fantastic quality. And so there were a few things that came up that I wanted to get done that were, that I kind of knew theoretically that I shouldn't be doing myself, mm-hmm. even though I normally would, because I was the kind of person that would just do everything uh, at the time. So, so then I eventually I kind of, when we had a slightly bigger project, I think I said to this person, um, look, let's, do you want to help me with this? Um, happy to pay you X amount per hour what do you what do you think and they were super happy because they were kind of um, still figuring things out themselves they were looking to learn and they were going to get paid for it and um, mm-hmm. so that was that was the first thing that i did i mean i'd hired freelancers before that obviously but that's quite quite common um yeah. you know for graphic design and things like this but this was kind of someone who was actually coming on to help me with a specific project much more of a kind of uh, va type type role so the, the reason that I was happy to pay for it was because I think I had a bit of cash in the bank at that point. So, I, you know, it was, it was a comfortable, mm-hmm. um, comfortable thing to do. Yeah. And then after we had a bit of success doing some stuff together, that was when I realized, okay, actually, look, we can actually do a lot of stuff here um, by working together. And so I kind of came to a, came to a point where, um, I I said right. Well, this actually sounds this this thank you. Um, this full time would would make a lot of sense. Um, and I don't know exactly how that's going to work out, but I'm willing to take a bet on it. Yeah. 
And I knew already that this person was really great. So there was no concerns over trust or quality. Yeah. I did the numbers and I was happy to commit to it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, worst case scenario, if it doesn't work out in a few months, I can just you know, row back. But, you know, yeah. that didn't happen. Okay. So that's quite, so maybe the next question is how can you minimize the risk, right? So you, you, you already said that, you know, it was a, a trial period for a few months. Um, mm-hmm. Would you recommend everybody to do that? Like when you hire someone new, like what do you usually, for how long can you commit? Like do you say it's for a year, for a few months, or is it a trial period or how can you minimize the risk when hiring someone? New? Um, so it kind of depends how you do it because if you, if you, if you hire someone under an official employment contract, mm-hmm. then you have a lot more obligations. So I think for most people working online, you can hire people under a freelance basis. So they're mm-hmm. kind of full-time, but they're, they're freelance. So they would invoice you every month and then you just pay them every month over PayPal or whatever. Um, that's a much safer way to start. But, um, but the, the answer to the question is that you, it's really important to get good at hiring. And one of the, one of the things that we've, one of the biggest lessons I think I've learned um, is, is how to hire properly. And there's a whole process here that we can, that we can talk about, about how to go through a proper hiring, hiring process, which, which effectively guarantees that this, you can never guarantee a hundred percent, but, but there's a, you know, gives you a high degree of confidence that that person is, is going gonna, is gonna to work out. Yeah. But I think um, there, are, there, are, there are questions to answer before that, I think, because mm-hmm. um, I th- the way that when I, so when I talk to people about this, there are kind of two, two ways, two models for bringing people on, if you like. Mm-hmm. And so model number one is um, what I did, which is, this, which is essentially this. I was already doing stuff and needed, and it was working, but I needed some help to do it faster. Mm-hmm. That's model number one. Model number two is, oh, you know what? I really should be doing this thing in my business. I'm not doing it at the moment. Let me bring on someone who can help me with that. So like, for example, let's say that I, I, I thought to myself, like, you know what? I really should be doing Instagram. Yeah. Seriously, like full time. Um, but I don't do it, I, but I really think I should. Let me hire someone to do that. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a major, major difference between these two, these two approaches because approach number one is you already know how to do that thing. You've done it yourself and you can supervise and, and train mm-hmm. that person to do it for you, right? Mm-hmm. But in the second model, you probably don't know what's involved in that because you haven't done it yet. Yeah. And also, because you haven't done it, you don't know what, what, it's, what revenue is going to bring in or if it's going to work. Yeah. And so what, I, I, what I've typically always done is, the, is this first model. So I've kind of done stuff by myself mm. until I get to the point where I can't do it anymore. And then I bring on someone to, to do it for me. Yeah. And that has a big advantage of um, you've proven the need for that role. Mm. I think it's quite dangerous for, for us as online people to, um, to hire in, into roles that, we haven't, that are new to the business. Yeah, because then you've got a different set of challenges, which is not just how do I find the right person, but how do I make sure that this makes sense for the business as well? Yeah. So I, so these, you know, uh, for most people, they're going to start with model one first mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, we tend to do everything ourselves. Yeah. Um, but then it, 
in, in my business at the moment, we're much more in the stage of model two, where we're kind of looking at, at we're trying to scale things, try new things. And that's where we're bringing on people who to do things that we've never done before. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is where it's particularly important to have that good hiring process because, um, because you're not going to, if they're, if they're not good at what they do, you're not going to know, right? Because, because yeah. it's a new, a new function. Mm-hmm. Let's, so let's talk yeah. about the hiring process then. Um, yeah. So how do you, okay. When should you hire your first employee or, or freelancer and, and how do you find that person? So it comes back. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, that's where the, the, you've got this trade off between the theory and the reality, right? Because um, if you, I think the, the high level answer is this, if you know that there are things that you could be doing that are more valuable to the business, yeah, um, which is often around, you know, generating sales or, or something. If you know that there are things that you should be doing and you just don't have time to do it, then that is a very good reason to hire somebody. Yeah. And if you have the money or not necessarily. Well, I mean, then again, you're in that catch 22. So what happens if you don't have the money, then you, you're on that hamster wheel and you, and you never, you never break out. But in mm. theory, see, as a business owner, you you have the ultimate responsibility for generating cash for the business, for generating yeah. revenue. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, I, I'd advise everybody never to, never to kind of delegate the role of, 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 of generating revenue in the early stages because that is the business you know mm-hmm. we, we always talk about how a youtube channel is not a business or a blog is not a business by itself you've got to figure out the actual business first before you can start to outsource those those the money generating parts of it yeah so this is a difficult this is an interesting question i mean what does it mean to be able to afford something in my mm-hmm. case I, i wasn't sure that i could afford it but i had enough cash in the bank that i was happy to take the risk yeah to, to take the gamble because i i had a all my intuition it made logical sense um i just wasn't very used to investing money in the business at that stage so it was kind of new to me so, so what, i think people yeah. people yeah so people should it's a no-brainer to bring somebody on if you know that you can be spending your time on more important activities and you know what those activities are and you can kind of quantify them because then even if you can't afford it yeah an example right so yeah yeah so let's say that um let's say that all of my sales all my new customers come from from podcast interviews right Mm -hmm. so let's say that my primary mechanism for generating sales is by going on other people's podcasts and then their listeners come over to me and buy my courses Mm -hmm. let's let's just say that that's um that's the primary mechanism for me. And so the logical thing for me to do at that point is to spend as much time as possible doing podcast interviews. Yeah. Because that's the core of the business without generating revenue, the business doesn't exist. So mm. I know that we accept it to be true that I should be spending all of my time or as much time as possible going on other people, getting myself booked on podcasts, going on podcasts, Mm-hmm. doing that because that's what generates revenue for the business yeah. then i need to uh prioritize that but if i'm spending all of my time writing blog posts or replying to emails and i don't have time to go on other people's podcasts yeah then that's a problem 
So in that scenario, that's when I would bring on somebody who can take over these low value things like replying to emails um, to free up as much time as possible for me to go on other people's podcasts mm. because then I'll be making enough money to pay that person. Yeah. So the main idea here is to first figure out what the business is and you know, where the money comes from and from what, what kind of activity generates the, uh, the most amount of money and then and, and just focus 100% on that and hire people to do all the other tasks. So for example, if you're a, a YouTuber and your channel is, is, is growing very fast, it's working very well, then you should just focus 100% on creating engaging videos because that's how you attract uh, new visitors or a new audience and then just outsource the rest of the tasks? Is that, could that be another example? Or? Yeah, I mean, that's a funny one because so YouTube is not a typical business model. Um, so yeah. with, with YouTube, with YouTube, like you're the star, right? Mm. And that's one of the traps of YouTube. It, it has to be your face on the, on the, on the, on the videos. Yeah. At least at first, right? Unless you become a media company with lots of different people on the channel. Um, you know, if I was, if I was, if I, if my channel is Spanish with Ollie, then it's got to be Ollie teaching the videos, right? Yeah. So in that model, let's say that I make all my money from AdSense revenue. Um, then there's a direct correlation between the amount of videos I produce and the money that I make. So my main role in that business is to um, produce videos. And so if I'm not making enough videos because I don't have time, or else if I'm getting too stressed out or too um, swamped mm -hmm. because I've got to you know, reply to emails and do a lot of admin at the same time as, make, as making these videos. Yeah, this is where I would, I would say, right, the primary revenue generating activity here is, um, is, is me producing video content. Mm -hmm. Therefore, let me hire people to take care of all the other roles in the business, like replying to emails and stuff like that, dealing with brand sponsorship requests, all these other things, because none of those other activities are going to be as important yeah. as creating the videos. So creating the videos is the number one priority. Now let's say that you're a blogger because that's how you originally started. Um, I mean, the number one, way I will teach you a language generates traffic as far as I know is, is still the blog, right? So you would say that blogging is the most important thing here, but that's something that you can also outsource, right? So maybe there are some examples where, well, I wouldn't say the most valuable task, but where like the, the business, the way the business is generated can be outsourced or, or not. What do you think? Well, there's a, there's a lot in there. So, the, um, in the case of a blog, then typically uh, it's a, it depends how the blog makes money, right? So let's say that you have that you sell online courses. In that in that scenario, you've got um, for a kind of mature developed blog, then you've got you've got traffic, and then you which is which are your blog posts, and then you've got conversion and monetization, which is the which is which are your your online courses. Mm -hmm. So once that, if that's all kind of up and running and that business is running, then, then the, the, the kind of correct question is, well, where, what's the easiest way to increase revenue? And that mm. could be through, create, through building more traffic. Mm. Or, but it might not be. If you've got lots of traffic, then, then the priority could be optimizing your sales process for your yeah. online courses. 
Uh-huh. Right. So that's mm-hmm. that's different. When you're just starting out, you're in a tricky scenario because that's where you've got the the chicken and egg thing. So in my case, I spent the thing that the the thing that gave me my advantage was that I spent like a good two years blogging, mm-hmm. and I didn't care about the business at the time, or I wasn't focused on that. And so just through that blogging, I grew my traffic, which meant that when I started to take the business more seriously, the priority for me at that point wasn't blog posts. It was actually creating um, products to sell. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. was the priority for me there. Okay. As a beginner, mm-hmm. as a beginner, you're in a different scenario because you don't have a business yet. You don't have traffic. You don't have products. And so that, in that, if you're in that situation, that's probably not when you should hire people unless you know exactly what you're doing and unless you have a clear plan in place. Because ultimately the role of the, if we consider ourselves entrepreneurs, then the ultimate role of the main job of an entrepreneur is to create value where no value existed before. Right? So yeah. at first there was nothing. And then, then there's Langpreneur. Yeah. And so you know, we're creating, you've got to figure out what's the value you're creating and how to, how to monetize that. Yeah. And so, so that's that. Yeah. Yeah, so, so would you say that f- you first need to figure out or you first need to get some traction in your business to see that it's working and to know what the business is, so to know what people want to buy. And then once you've gained some traction there, once you see, once you see that the business is working, would that be a good moment to, to, to take on your first employee? I mean, I'm just thinking yeah. for our listener here, right? Because many of our yeah. listeners are, well, still don't have a team or doing everything by themselves. You know, they might be wondering, okay, should I hire someone? or not yet? Like, can we make this even more specific for, for those people? Well, I think that what you said is accurate, but it might be helpful to kind of to compare this with different business models for a second. Mm. So let's imagine that you're, you're opening up a, let's imagine you're opening up an Ikea. Yeah. Um, in the, on day one of Ikea, you can't run the business without a few people, right? You need the person who is on the, at the checkout, who is taking money. You need someone who's opening the doors, someone who's in the cafe, someone who is stocking the shelves with the furniture, people who are delivering. Like you need multiple people to make that business run. If you run a cafe, you need somebody to work the, the checkout and then also somebody to make the food because you can't do both things at the same time. So for most traditional businesses, you need to hire people from day one because the business model requires that. This is, this is where online business is a bit funny and why, you know, frankly, there are so many people who are, who are um, very amateur with online businesses because it's very easy to get started. You know, you can just run an online business entirely by yourself. And lots of people do. Lots of people out there make millions just by just themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think part of the problem of online business is that it's, it's a very kind of un- Un, like it's a very vague, nebulous business model because you can do everything by yourself. I mean, it's amazing, really. It's, it's, it's incredible. But it's also quite difficult to pin down and, and define. Mm. So um, your question was, like, so when, at what point exactly do you, do you hire somebody? Yeah, maybe what are some of the questions <laughs> that you should ask yourself? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I think you need to be generating revenue. Mm. And you need to have a path for generating more of it. Because if you're not, if you're not making any money, then, and you don't, know, you don't have a clear picture of how you're going to make money, then it's crazy to be hiring people. Because why? What, what's that person going to do? This comes back to, the, to the, what I said earlier about knowing 
what the more valuable tasks are that you spend your time on. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think I'd say, I think, so the thing with online business is that you can make money in a number of different ways fairly easily. So for example, through affiliate marketing, mm-hmm. you know, if you have any traffic at all, then you can start making money today through affiliate marketing. Yeah. Um, so there's it, a very low barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of people, you know, listen to this, I, I think on the most, for the most part will, will, or, or should be making at least some money, even if it's just the occasional affiliate commission. Mm-hmm. And, and so then the question is, well, what does the future of the business look like? As you keep growing, will you keep doing affiliate marketing? Some people will, for other people, they want to develop their own courses. That's the business they want to create. So if you want to develop your own courses, then, well, I think their best advice is, well, go and develop your own course. You don't need to hire anybody yet. Make the course, start selling it as best you can. And then when you are, you know, listen to Langpreneur and other, other podcasts, like figure out how to do things the right way. And you don't need to get it perfect, but you can get it up and running and start generating revenue very quickly. So there's no reason to hire somebody to do that, really. Mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would suggest that you kind of figure that out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's quite easy to do so. And that is the kind of primary job of an entrepreneur. Yeah. And then once you figure it out, once you know, okay, this is how my business will make money consistently, yeah. Yeah. then you can start to hire somebody because, because then you'll be able to take what you've learned and then go and replicate that yeah. to make even more money. And I can also make a calculation and see how much the ROI on that hire is going to be in the long run. Or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, ideally, yes, but that's quite hard to do at the beginning, you know, because, yeah. because if you've just got, like, if you're just a blog with one course, then it's going to take you quite a long time to understand, okay, here is how much money I make through this business. Yeah. Uh, because every month is different, you know. Often people will go through August or December and sales will drop. Mm-hmm. And then they'll pick up again in September or January or, or whatever. <laughs> so you don't really have a conception of what the business it, it takes a long time to really get a feel for the for the mm-hmm. traction of a business like what a business actually is yeah. um so that that's why the, in the early stages i think hiring is quite difficult because you just don't have a feel for for for, for um how much revenue you've actually got yeah whereas the kind of the, the kind of hiring decisions that i'm making at the moment in my business for example are much more i mean we're hiring people who have quite high salaries but we're able to do that because I've because I've got a a memory of the a kind of a business memory that goes back a few years, right? So I I can I have a fair degree of confidence what how much money we're going to make and whether yeah. I can afford something or not. But you just don't have that at the beginning. Yeah. Well, what are some of the tasks that you can easily outsource, and what are some of the tasks that that are very hard to outsource? I mean, like hiring someone to to respond to your email, do customer service, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I can imagine that's quite easy, but what about things like, like copywriting or, yeah. Can you give a few examples of tasks that are easy to outsource and some of the yeah, tasks well, that you have we, to do yourself? Why don't, we, why don't we pick a specific, a specific business model here and, and go through some of the tasks that they're likely to have? Yeah. Um, so what would be a, pick, pick your online business. What should we use? Well, an online language business, right? So someone with, with a big blog or with, with, a, with a YouTube channel. I mean, anyone with, who has some traffic. 
Okay, well, let's take the example of a YouTuber because with a YouTuber that, like, uh, as we were saying before, they have to spend a lot of time themselves on making videos. It's yeah. very, very time-consuming. Yeah. Blogging is, can also be time-consuming, but usually less so. And it's easier to do, you know, you can, you can write a blog post in the, on the toilet if you, if you really need to, <laughs> but you can't make a video mm-hmm. uh, in, in the same situation. So, um, so if you, let's take the example of a YouTuber who needs to put out, you know, at least a couple of videos a week and is essentially full time on, on, on that kind of content creation. Yeah. So the kind of things that they will, uh, want to outsource are essentially everything, everything else, um, that forms a part of that business. Um, so this can be replying to emails, customer service, replying to, you know, they're popular, could be replying to comments or DMs on, on social media, um, graphic design for thumbnails, editing of those videos, um, any kind of tax or finance. You know, you shouldn't be doing, really shouldn't be doing submitting tax returns by yourself. <laughs> you should get help with those things. Mm-hmm. Um, Email yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it depends on the business, right? So if you're a YouTuber, you may or may not be doing any kind of email. Um, so, yeah, depends on the situation. But there's a process to follow, right, mm-hmm. in this situation. So if you, if you think that you're at the stage where you should, that you want to bring someone on, and you want to follow the first model we talked about earlier, which is um, to do something, to help you do something that you're already doing, Mm-hmm. then what is there's a great exercise that I've done many times, which is uh, time tracking. Mm-hmm. The, you know, often I think we have a, a view of the, of the way that we spend our time in our business, which is not actually accurate. You know, we might think, oh, I spend all my time doing this, but that's not necessarily true. And there's one really easy way to find out, and that is to track everything that you're doing. Yeah. So, for example, you know, today is a, is a Tuesday. So if I was doing my time tracking, I would say, you know, 8 a.m. till 9 a.m., podcast interview. And then it might be 9, 9 a.m. till 9.30 a.m., responding to emails. 9.30 a.m. till 11 a.m., planning blog post. Hmm. 11 till 12, um, team meeting. That kind of thing. And you track your time for a period of, say, two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. And then what you can do at the end of that is very objectively look back about exactly what you've been spending your time on. And that gives you a kind of no-nonsense view of the kind of stuff that you need to be out, that you, that you can outsource. Yeah. So you'll, you'll, you'll see, for example, now I'm spending all my time replying to emails. I didn't realize that I was spending two hours a day re- re- replying to emails. Mm-hmm. And so then that could be your target for, for, for bringing someone on. You could say, right, I could reclaim two hours a day if I can hire somebody to, um, to, to help me reply to emails. Yeah. But it's very important to have a clear, like objective view of how you spend your time before you make these decisions. Yeah. What are some of the most, you know, difficult thing to outsource? I think we've talked about it before, like copywriting, for example, right? Because it's, um, it's expensive to hire a good copywriter and especially like with the kind of courses. Mm -hmm. It's not so much that stuff is difficult. I mean, everything is difficult to outsource well. It's usually a question of, uh, of cost, mm. right? So, I mean, something like copywriting, there are lots of copywriters out there, but the issue is the cost. 
because it can be very expensive to, to hire a good copywriter. So um, yeah, it's um, usually for creators, the harder things to outsource are those things which have to be done in your voice. So I know a lot of a lot of friends of mine are very nervous about outsourcing their email, for example. Yeah. You know, replying to emails. Because I mean, a friend of mine told me once that she hired someone to, to help them with their inbox, and they realised that um, they actually had a really good business opportunity come through. But this person <laughs> thought it was spam, so they put it in. They just deleted the email, and they missed all this huge business opportunity. <laughs> so like, she she just then said, "Oh, okay, I'm never again am I going to outsource my email." Uh, and and it, you can see why, right? That's, that, that can be quite nerve-wracking. But that, I, that's not the right response. The, the right response is to get the right person in place and to have clear instructions and guidance for what to do with different kinds of emails. Yeah. So anything, that, anything that can, that's done in your name can be quite difficult. It took me a long time to start to outsource blog posts, for example, because mm-hmm. the, the, um, the blog was like my identity. Yeah. Uh, but you know, eventually I figured out how to do it, and same with emails. I, I don't. Uh, most of my customer support people reply to almost all, all emails that come through, mm-hmm. and again, they've got very clear guidance on how to how to do it. But it was difficult at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, let's say we've done this this uh, thing that you suggested. So basically, the time the time tracking thing, right? Um, we've done that, and it turns out that you spent most of your time. Uh, replying to emails and replying to comments on on social media, creating content for social media. Um, where where should we look for for a hire? Do we go to Upwork? Do we ask the people on our own mailing list? And um, should we look for freelancers or hire someone in house or like on a contract basis? Yeah, so for anything very kind of personal like that, like responding to comments, replying to emails, um, that kind of thing that's done in our name, the first place to go is your, is your own community. Mm. So if you have a mailing list, send out an email. If you have an Instagram channel, you can post on Instagram, make an Instagram story. Go out to your own community because um, you're not guaranteed to find someone there, but generally people that follow you, they like you. They want, they'd love to be more involved with what you're doing. Um, and, the, and, and the main reason is that in your own community, you're going to have people who are going to be able to reply to these emails and comments in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone on, on Upwork is just not going to understand you and your, and your, and your business yeah. um, at, at the beginning, at least. So my best hires have always come from, from my own mailing list. Yeah. So yeah, definitely your own community is the place to start. So for what kind of hires do you not go to your own list? Um, executive positions like um, um, like marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I still I still go to my mailing list. I just don't ex- usually find find people for for for, for kind of executive level mm-hmm. um, roles. Um, uh, sometimes I have in the past, but, but usually not. How do you know how much you you should pay your employees or the freelancers you work with? Yeah, good question. Um, so right now, so it, again, the answer is it depends, right? And um, so there's a few different, few different guidelines here. The first thing you can do is, so for, for any different role, the first step in, for any different role is to actually research similar roles out there. 
So let's say that you need someone to, to, to support with your social media. Let's say that you've decided, you've decided, right, I spend too much time on social media. I need more time to make videos. So I need support with my social media. First thing to do is to figure out like, what is the role? What is the job description? What is the name of this role? Like, is it social media support? Is it executive assistant? Is it content? Like, what, what, what is this role called? Because there are, there exists like proper names for these, all these different roles, right? Mm -hmm. So spend a bit of time on Google on different job boards, searching for the kind of things that you want people to do. So you know, reply to blog comments, uh, occasionally post on social media, um, you know, type these things into Google, literally. Yeah. And then do spend a bit of time researching it until you've got the name of the, of the role. Mm -hmm. Customer service assistant, social media assistant, social media manager, things like this. Mm -hmm. And then once you've got the name of that role, then you can start punching that into places like Upwork or other job boards. And you'll start to see, okay, here is what a full-time person is paid. Here is what mm -hmm. a part-time person is paid. Here is what an hourly person is paid. And you'll just, you'll get a feel for, um, what the what the market rate is for yeah. that kind of role yeah. and then that that tells you where to where to go you're going to find a big range up and down um but you'll you'll be able to arrive at, at, a, at a reasonable um estimate doing doing mm -hmm. things that way yeah well that's a very good tip um then more about the hiring process so how does it work like you receive all these applications and then you get on, on a phone call with on a Skype call with, with everyone or you, you make a selection? What kind of questions do you ask? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So there's a very good book that I recommend everybody read, which is called Who. And I forget the name of the authors, but it's literally just Who. Um, and it, it spells out a very, very clear process. And I, I kind of stick by that model. It's quite intensive. And, um, and it's designed for high-level high level hires generally so like you know ceos and things like that but it's a it's a fantastic process and i I'm, i'm more or less follow that but we've adapted a little bit we've adapted it a little bit now for the different positions so i'll run let me run through exactly what i would do the exact process that i would go through and then you know you can ask me any any questions you have about those mm -hmm. those those um those steps so the first step is to define the name of the role like i was just like i was just saying and then to create a role profile mm-hmm And a role profile says, here, is, here are the exact things you will be doing in this job. Yeah. Responding to blog comments, um, responding to Instagram comments, posting on social, posting 10 posts a week on social media. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, step by step by step, define everything that's, that goes into the, into, the, into the job, and that's called a role profile. Mm -hmm. And then you put together a document that has the name of the role, the type of employment, so part-time, full-time, the, the salary and the, um, the role profile of what they'll be doing and also a bit about the, about the company and, and about you. you know, what kind of business are you? Why, why should people work for you? Because it's actually quite important to sell, sell the job to people because the best people out there are looking for something that's rewarding and inspiring right so yeah tell people what's so good about your business why they should work for you the the, the purpose of this exercise here is in the early stages just for you to get totally clear about what the role is and to have it defined 
you don't necessarily need to use all these documents. If you go out onto a job board and things to look for new people, then you, you will need it. But uh, I wouldn't do that initially, but I, I would, because I would go out to my own list. But I'd start by putting together this document, mm -hmm. a job description, role profile, whatever you want to call it. So now you know with, with complete clarity what the role is, exactly what's involved and how much um, you're paid. Yeah. And then what I'd do is I'd go out to my list and I would say, um, I'd say hiring. The subject line in my email list would say hiring um, chief marketing officer or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's a, very, it's a very specific email that is designed to capture the attention of the, of the right people on the, on the list. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so there are, you've got a couple of options here, right? If it's a high level position, then I actually, um, I do what are called um, screening interviews. So these are short interviews of like 15 minutes max where you just basically check that they are you do as just a sanity check. Sometimes you can easily tell if someone's not, not the right fit at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you probably don't have that many candidates either, so that's a good first filter. But if it's a position like customer service assistant or social media manager, you might have literally hundreds of replies. Yeah. Um, so we, I've been in that situation before where I've been advertising for a, like a course, a product development assistant, and we had like 500 applications. <laughs> And so what you do in that situation is that you set, you set, um, you've got to set some very clear instructions. So I'll say things like, this is the role. If you want to apply, go and fill out this form or, or, or reply to us in an email. And then you give some very specific instructions. Mm -hmm. So you, you might say like reply, send us an email with this exact subject line. And in the first line of your reply, uh, answer the question, what is nine plus two or something like that. Mm -hmm. And all you're doing there is you're checking who's paying attention because mm -hmm. if someone gets the subject line wrong or doesn't answer that question in the first line of the email, then, you know, you reject them immediately because they're just clearly not paying attention. Mm -hmm. So what that does is that enables you to kind of filter out everybody who is not paying attention. <laughs> and then you, yeah. Then you're left with, uh, you know, essentially, you know, a couple of hundred people still. <laughs> and then you have your own criteria, right? So you say, okay, what are the most important parts to this role? They need to be able to, they need to have experience doing X. They need to um, be able to speak X language or whatever. Select a few criteria and then just rank everybody. You've got to go to every application and if they're not rejected, just give them a few kind of basic score. And then at, right at the very end, you'll just rank people based on those criteria. And then you'll end up with say 10, 20 people on a short list. And then you can do screening interviews with them. Yeah. So you would have like 10 or 20 screening interviews. 10 or 20 screening interviews. And then the aim, the ultimate aim would be to get to a short list of about, about three to five people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then for the short, for the, so then what you'll do when you've got this, this short list of three to five people is then you'll conduct full interviews. Mm -hmm. It's like a one hour interviews. or one hour, two hour. Yeah, so, so, so let's imagine you've got this short list of say three to five people. Yeah. The first thing I would do at that point is I would say to each one of them, 
um, before the interview, I say, right, I want you to have a chat with someone on my team. Mm-hmm. So they would call up, um, say, James on my, on my team, and, and they'd have a 15-minute chat with them. And this is just to check that they're a good fit. Yeah. Because what could happen is James might speak to them, and, he, and he'll say, you know, they, they, they're super qualified, but I just didn't get on with them very well. Yeah. And then you know that they're not, they're not the right person, so you can, yeah. you can reject them. Yeah. So chat, chat with a team member is step two. And step three is a full interview. And then so for this, for the interview, that's when you're, you and somebody else, it's very important that it's not just you interviewing, you get somebody else on the call to be objective. Mm-hmm. You'll set a full interview. And you know, the structure of an interview is, is, a, is, a, is a huge topic. Yeah. But the most important part of the interview is you need to set them a task which is representative of the work they're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. So for example, if... Um, when you, so when you invite someone to an interview, so, dear John, I'd like to invite you to an interview next, next Tuesday. Um, in advance of the interview, please complete the following task. Yeah. And then the task will be something related to the, to the work. So, for example, if you're hiring somebody to reply to emails, you could give them three very different emails and ask them to write a reply to each one. Yeah. Just in a, in a, in a Word doc or something, you know, they, they wouldn't send it, they just write the reply. Yeah. And then before the interview, then you can look at what they've done at that task. And that's going to give you the, the clearest possible indicator of what this person is going to be like. Yeah. Because the, the number one way that you, that you can tell whether someone's going to be good is by looking at work they've already done hmm. for you. Yeah. Thank you, Oli. That was really useful. Thank you for sharing this whole hiring process. I'm sure people are super interested in this, and, uh, but it's a lot of information. And uh, it's good that you mentioned that resource there, the book, Who. So if you want to learn more about this topic, make sure to check out that book. Also make sure to check out the show notes because we're going to write, we're going to turn this whole interview in, uh, into an article so that you can go through it once more and, you know, like, all the information that Oli has shared, he will be very organized. So it will be a very good way for you to uh, go through it once more and reinforce everything that you learned on this episode so far. Um, there's much more that we can talk about, Oli, but I mean, I have many other questions here on my list. But let's take a look at, the, uh, at our Langpreneur members or the members of our Langpreneur Facebook group because they also have some questions for you. I've here a question from Michelle. Um, and by the way, we have already discussed some of these topics, so you know maybe we can just keep it brief. But um, yeah, rapid fire. Okay. Yeah, rapid fire. Yeah. So Michelle, how how and where do you find good writers for your blog, for example? Yeah. So we should, should we they be language? Have... Sorry. Yeah. Should they be language learners themselves or just good researchers, for example, like a journalist? Again, the proof is in the pudding. So you get them to write stuff and then you decide whether you like them or not. So we hire all of our writers on Upwork. Um, and uh, I, I don't know exactly what the process is now because I, I don't do it myself. Um, but you, you get people, you, you post your job description, you have people apply, and then you, you look at samples of their work. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then, yeah, you make a decision based on that. It's, it, it's not always easy. It's time-consuming to find the right person. But they are out there. Uh, it's just, it just takes time to filter through people. But the, the one thing that's really important is to be very specific in, in, the, job, in, the, in the posting on Upwork. Yeah. So don't, don't just say, hey, I'm looking for somebody to write a blog post about Italian 
food, you want to say something like, um, say exactly what the, what, the, what the task is, how long it should take, the word count, um, ask for samples of their work, that, that kind of thing. And then also make it clear that there's ongoing work potential. Because a lot of writers, they don't want to always be replying to, to ads. You know, they want to be just working for good people. Yeah. So if you can, so a lot of our writers now, we find them on Upwork originally, but, but we just go back to them directly now over and over again for new stuff. Mm. So make it clear if there is ongoing work potential because that's going to help you strike up a, it's going to help you attract the best, the best people. Yeah. How much should we pay for a, for a blog article? I know the question, the answer is it depends, right? On the quality oh, experience yeah, of the writer. Yeah. But what, what are we talking about? Like $50, $100, $200? Uh, there's, there's really no answer to this question because it just depends. It just depends on um, your business and, and what the level of quality versus cost is that you're prepared to stomach. So I know that there are you know, big companies out there who have, whose aim is to just publish as much stuff as possible. They will literally, I mean, a friend of mine in Egypt told me that a big company here that everybody listening will, will know, uh, wanted to hire her to, to write, uh, an article, an in-depth article on, uh, Egyptian Arabic grammar. Mm-hmm. And this person is like, you know, she's a teacher at a university in Egypt, very, very highly qualified. And they were offering her like $20 or something. <laughs> so, um, I think I think she said no, and r- rightly so. But but pe- you know people will try and pay nothing. We pay a lot more than that, mm-hmm. um, and you can pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars per article um, if you want. It it just depends like what's the, what's the function of of this content. You know if you're creating content which we could call pillar content, so stuff that is designed to be the best thing out there on the internet, then you 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 may well want to pay. Uh, hundreds or even thousands for that kind of stuff. I know Neil Patel, who, who, who writes on, um, well, he's got loads of different websites. He, may, he does this thing where he makes big infographics and massive content pieces, which are like book length, and he pays $25,000 per article. <laughs> um, but he does it because he intends to be number, on number one spot in Google for, for example, email marketing or content marketing. And he knows that by being on the number one spot of Google, he will make hundreds of thousands in revenue from, mm-hmm. from clients. So, you know, you really, it really is up to you. And it's the kind of thing which, I mean, when I, when I think about how much we pay per article when we're hiring, when we're hiring um, writers, it really, it, it, it's almost like the kind of identity of our business in a way, like how much we're prepared to pay and the quality that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's that's we're trying to develop that that ethos really, and and, and in our case, we, we pay quite a lot because my aim is to produce the best quality stuff out there. So it's been a strategic decision to pay more and to get really good, really good writers. But you know, it might be something that you can you're going to have to build up to over time. Yeah. Okay, next question from Phil. Did Oli wait for the money to hire or did he hire as an investment knowing that he would earn the money to pay for itself? Brief answer. I think you already answered this one. Yeah, we kind of covered that. But, yeah. but basically, in the early stages, it was, always, it was always hiring to do things that I was already doing myself but wanted to speed up. 
and it was mostly through 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 cash that we had mm-hmm. um and a kind of a bet that it was a bet that by by doing this we'd end up growing the business quickly um but that has changed over time and it's and it's more now we're in a situation where it's more hiring for future and future growth mm-hmm. um another question yeah i think of- we've covered that in quite some quite some depth before yeah. Another question that Phil has is, um, what's the difference between working with freelancers and with an employee? And do you work with both or just with freelancers? Would you recommend yeah, good Langpreneurs to only work with freelancers? At the beginning, yeah. Because when you, when you have actual full employees, you have a lot of obligations. So we have a mix, a mix of contractors, freelancers and salaried employees. And salaried employees, are t- it's, it's difficult because you have to pay their pension. You have to pay PAYE tax. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's expensive. It's really expensive to hire um, to hire actual salaried employees. But sometimes the thing is that if you if it's a serious position that you're hiring for, or or you want to attract the, uh, or, or you're doing it in an industry where people go through, you know, professional job boards. It has to be a salary position. Otherwise people just won't take it seriously. Yeah. But for entry, for entry level stuff, most people are going to be fine just with freelancers. So they're either paying them by the hour or they're paying them X amount per month, which they invoice for and you just send them money. So you work with everybody in your team works remotely, right? Do you ever bring all of the team members together face to face? We, we never have before. Um, well, actually, no, we did a long time ago when there was just like two or three of us. <laughs> um, we met at like the Polyglot conference and stuff like that. But the thing is now we have people in Argentina, uh, California, France, Ireland, UK, Spain, Scotland, uh, Belgium, Finland. It's, it's just it's difficult. But I, I'm actually planning to try to try and bring everybody together next year for one kind of big sort of... Uh, gathering Whoa. it's just you can you can imagine how expensive that's going to be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, 15k for a weekend in london so so what justifies that investment assuming that you pay yeah good question um i think so my, my mindset behind that is that So I think with a, it, it's all a question of size and scale, right? So the, the kind of line of thinking here is that okay, well, what, does it, what does it bring to the company by having people who have met each other in person, work well together, um, like each other, hopefully, um, and are all on the same page and, and feel more involved and more part, more part of the company? Like, what's that worth to a company? And it's difficult to quantify. But if you assume, for example, that it, that's worth at least, say, if you say, like, at least, at least around, say, pick a number, 10% of your, let's say that the company, you, you believe that the company will do 10% better if people meet regularly, know each other, and are friends, yeah. and have a good working relationship. I don't know. Let's just say that you assume the company will do 10% better under those circumstances. Then it's just a kind of calculation of, well, let, you do a big company retreat and it costs, say, 25 grand to run. 
if that represents 25, if that represents 10% of your yeah. revenue, yeah. then you can kind of justify it. Yeah, I like that. But it, you know, that, but that's the kind of way you have to think about it, really. But you also have to ask, well, what happens? What what's the potential negative impact on the business on the business if people never meet, hmm. and they never meet each other face to face? I don't I don't know the answer to that, but I think that at least every now and again, it's a good idea to to try to do that. Hmm. Okay. But it's, there's certainly an affordability question. So I, I would only I, I you know when you're kind of flying flying people in from all over the world, it's like you, you have to be confident that you've got the you've got the, the funds to do that and that it, and that it's a good investment. Yeah, I like that. And two more quick questions. Uh, question from Lucy. Have you, have you ever ended on bad terms with an employee? Yes. And, uh, yes, and um, yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's horrible. Um, and the, I mean, to a certain extent, like, that, that's always going to be a possibility. The every time that's happened uh it's only happened once um but it's 100 percent because i didn't go through the hiring process properly in the first place mm. so i didn't um i didn't I, I hired much more based on emotion than on procedure yeah and it turns out that well i won't go into the details but um they were just totally the wrong person mm. And, uh, and people, people can say all kinds of things and give the impression that they know all kinds of things and can do all kinds of things. But really, there's only one way that you ever figure out whether someone is a good employee or not. And that's by actually um, seeing the quality of the work they do for you, which is why it's so important to do the that the that interview process that I like outlined earlier, including the the screening interview and the, and, and, the, and the team chat in order to check that this person is a good cultural fit. And then when it comes to the interview, to have a substantial task for them to do. Because if someone's not suitable for some reason, you'll, 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 you'll figure that out through one of those two things, right? It's through getting them to have a chat with the team and or... Um, actually seeing the quality of their work hmm. in practice. So, I, that, so the, the, you're never going to totally eliminate the risk of ending on bad terms, but if you've been through a professional process of recruiting in the first place, then that is, that, that is um, by far the biggest thing you can do to, to stack the deck in your favor. Well, that's maybe one of the most important lessons of this interview so far. Last question from Shona. How do you give negative feedback to employees? Um, well, yeah, good question. So the first, the most important thing of all is that you, you, you must give the feedback. And some of the biggest problems of all will come if you avoid giving negative feedback. Because it, it can be uncomfortable, right? Especially if you've hired a friend or, uh, or you're, you have a, you're on good terms with somebody. Um, uh, it can be difficult to give feedback and, and it's very easy to avoid doing that. It, I can't, it's so important that you actually do give the negative feedback. And if you, if you've got the right person on your team, they will, they will appreciate it. 
So there's like two different approaches to giving negative feedback. One is called the shit sandwich, which is uh, very easy to, to do. And that's basically where uh, it's, you, it's uh, positive feedback, negative feedback, positive feedback in that order. So, um, so for example, um, if I was giving feedback to you, let's say I wanted to give negative feedback to you on, on this podcast interview. Yeah. I'd say, <laughs> um, I'd say, yeah, no, so, we, so, it's, it, so the shit sandwich is the, uh, is the positive, negative, positive formula. So I say, Jan, you know, I, I really, your, your interview style is fantastic. I really like how you, uh, how you ask the questions. You know, it's, it's always so much fun doing these interviews. Positive. Then, but, um, but uh, you know, one, one thing I was thinking, though, is that... Um, the quality of the audio. Of your, of the quality guests. of the audio in, in, in your interviews is really not that is really not that good, and I and, and I think it would really improve things a lot if um, if if you got a better mic. If, if my guests um, had a better mic. If your guests had a better mic, um, but so that's that's a negative, and then you went with the positive again. But you know, um, I think you know this, this podcast is really cool and it's changing so many lives so you know good job <laughs> so there what you're doing is that you're giving you're giving um your beginning and ending in, with positivity which makes the negative thing, thing seem a lot more constructive yeah. so that that's um that's a very that's a very um easy way to do that and you can do it verbally or you can do it by email as well the other way you can do it is by um following the a formula where you you um you, 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 you take the negative criticism you want to get and you frame it in terms of how it affects you personally. Mm, yeah. So for example, I feel you say, yeah, exactly. So rather than saying you did this, you did that, you say, here's how it affects me. So, um, so the formula would be one piece of negative feedback two, how it affects me personally. Three, uh, what is the outcome I would like? So for example, um, number one, yeah, and you know, I noticed that the, uh, the quality of your guests' microphones on the podcast is really, really not that good. Number two, um, and for me, that means that when I'm listening, I, um, I find it quite distracting and it, and, it, and it upsets me a bit because I really like the content of the podcast, but I just can't listen to it for that long. So it has that effect on me. Um, and then number three, so... You know, I'd, I'd really appreciate it if you got the guest to, um, if you sent your, your guest a, a microphone on Amazon before the interview <laughs> so that they could, uh, so that they could have better sound quality. And, and so that, that formula, what that does is it, it, it makes it, it avoids placing blame on the person you're giving the feedback to. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. which is important because they're going to receive it much better if, if you framed it in a way that affects you rather than is affecting them. So mm. those are two formulas which could help. Yeah. Well, thank you, Oli. I mean, we can go on, go on for hours talking about hiring uh, for so many more questions, but you know, just for our listeners, if you have more questions and, you know, if you want to learn more about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, online business, and also consider to hang out um, to come and join us at one of our live events, Let's go to our, I mean, we are doing this mastermind in Greece in the end of September. Oli is going to be there as well. 
Um, we still have a few spots, so make sure to check it out. If you're listening to this after September 2020, just go to our website and check, uh, you know, check out our live events. Oli, one final takeaway or one final advice or tip that you want to share with the listeners here? Yeah. When it comes to hiring people. There is, there is, there, there is one thing, which is, so, I mean, you remember, Jan, we were speaking to, uh, to a friend the other day on Zoom, and, uh, and she asked, um, how did you learn all this stuff? Like, how, how, did you, how do you know what, what, what people to hire and how to build a team and all of that stuff? Like, yeah. Because I, I've, never learned, I've never done this before. Right? And, um, and the answer is, I've never done it before either. I, I just, you just figure it out as you go along. Like, mm. there's, no, there's no manual for this, like what person you should hire, what kind of business you should build, what team you should build and how to do it. There's, there's no manual. You have to kind of write the manual yourself. So, I mean, as I was talking here, I just, like you said, Jan, there's just so much lovely stuff, isn't there? There's so much information. And we only just scratched the surface. I could have talked for an hour about the, the interview process. But I think it's important that like, don't get overwhelmed by this stuff. All of these lessons, like everything in, in, in to do with online business, um, you know, you learn these lessons by doing it. So everything that I that I've said today, I've kind of learned, someone told me once, you know, uh, it was advice that was given to me, but then, but ultimately I've kind of learned the lesson by actually doing it, not by reading or listening about it, but actually by doing it. And, and, and so all of these lessons, like with hiring, just like with, with business building or product creation, like the best, the most powerful lessons are the ones that you learn through actually doing yourself. So even if you're feeling a little bit, even if hiring somebody feels a bit risky, and you're not sure whether you can afford it, I'd encourage you to do it because you can't imagine the lessons that you'll learn yeah. by just going through the process. Yeah. And, you know, I think for, for everything that we're doing, like learning lessons, making progress is the most important thing of all. So um, it's bit, you know, I, 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 I'd, I'd say it's actually worth, if all you did was just learn the lessons from it, it's still worth paying for it because, it, because it's so valuable and forms yeah. the foundation of everything you do in the future. Yeah. So maybe it's the same thing here, just the same thing as in language learning or building an online business. Like the only way to become really good at it is by just doing it. So if you want to become good at hiring people, just, just do it and you learn your lessons on the way. It's the same with starting a YouTube channel, doing a podcast. Every time you do it, you get a little bit better. So, well, thank yeah. you, Oli, sharing for all of that. Um, well, oh, it's awesome. <laughs> I can't imagine on your holiday. Yeah. Never going to do this. Yeah. On your holiday. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for making the time. Yeah. If you guys want to learn more about Oli, well, you can go visit his, uh, his website. I will teach you a language.com. Or if you want to learn more about Oli and Langpreneur, then just go to langpreneur.com. And uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time. To listening to this i think yeah i think this has been the longest podcast interview so far only so we broke a record here no problem and i guess a lot just one more thing just because it's already so long it doesn't matter if we add anything else <laughs> uh, it, i think people, for people listening to that, if, if this is an area that you're really struggling with or you found yourself kind of thinking thinking um or worrying about this for, for some time come to our mastermind in um in crete in in at the end of september because this is the kind of environment where you can really get answers to these questions. You know, people tend to come to, our, to these masterminds with really deep questions like this, like what should my business look like? Who should I hire? 
And um, the great thing about these masterminds is that we've got the time and the space and, and the expertise around the table to, to really kind of help you get answers to these. So if, if this is something you're, you're if, you know, hiring and team building is something that is really on your mind, come to, come to the mastermind because you will, it, it could be one of the most important, um, you know, moments uh, for you at this stage of your, uh, um, of your business to get clarity and to get answers and to, and to move forward. Um, yeah, I'm sure you remember um, how many people in similar situations we've, we've helped with that. Um, yeah, and it's just, it's the perfect environment to get answers to those questions. Just mind blowing to see the transformations that people go through during four or five days. Um, so yeah, if you want to learn more about that, langpreneur.com forward slash mastermind, and there's only three spots left, so make sure to check it out. And if you're interested, just send me a DM on Instagram, or um, uh, just send me an email at info at langpreneur.com. That was it, Oli. Thank you very much for taking the time and enjoy your holiday. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Cheers. Bye-bye. Want to learn how you can grow your language business or maybe meet us at one of our upcoming events? Then go to our website, langpreneur.com. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.